Welcome to the Sparcom Podcast, where we talk about trends, innovation, and what's coming next. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Harton. And we are Spark Partners. You can go to our website, sparkpartners.com, to learn about what we offer to our clients. And um, Adam, how are things with you today? They're good. They're good. And enjoying this uh, nice winter day, that living in one of the advantages of living in the desert. Indeed, indeed. So uh, I am a hardcore sales guy. I've been in sales my whole professional career, except for one year where I was an official uh, engineer. Uh, but be, beyond that, I've been a uh, sales guy. And one of the things that was talked about in sales guy lore was the idea of nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Have you heard of that before? Absolutely. That was back in the day when uh, the computer industry was first coming along and, uh, you know, we're buying mainframe computers, typewriters, a lot of automation, a lot of digitization was happening to business. And just IBM was the king, the king of the kings. Yeah. Big Blue was around for a long time and is still around. But uh, we've got some interesting news to share today uh, regarding really kind of where they've been the past 20 years. And uh, in light of all of the uh, momentum they've had with uh, cloud computing and artificial intelligence, and I mean, they're a virtual uh, uh, laundry list of some giant trends that we're in now. So, so what's the story? Why aren't they uh, coming out on top? Well, you know, I'm sure that we have two different groups of listeners to this podcast. We have people that are over 40 years old who will remember IBM and remember some of these stories that we've talked about here, like, like you just mentioned. And then there's going to be younger viewers and younger listeners, and they're going to say, what? IBM? Like, what's IBM? And, and they're going to wonder about why we're even having this discussion, because the, the, to them, IBM isn't even relevant. And, and that's what I think is really important story for us here. The interesting thing to me is if you took a look at IBM's stock performance, and you go back to the year 2000, January 2000, bring it up to today, that's 21 years. If you'd have bought the stock in January 2000, today you would be ahead 5.67%. That's not 5% per year. That's just under 6% altogether. <laughs> at the same time, if you'd have bought a share of, I, of uh, Apple, you'd be up uh, 14,900%. So one's clearly performed substantially better yeah, than the other absolutely. one, right? Um, and, and that's just to, gets to the relevancy of the, of the two companies. Last Friday, IBM announced earnings again, and uh, you know the stock dropped 7.7%, and it was, did so badly that on a day when the NASDAQ was up, all the tech companies were up, uh, you know, pretty much the market was up. The Dow was down because uh, IBM did so badly. It just really performed poorly. But in the last 34 quarters, think about that. We're talking about eight and a half years. IBM's revenue declined in 30 of those quarters. And so year over year, their revenue was down 30 out of 34 quarters or across eight years. Starting in 2014, go back in that era, they had 20 consecutive quarters of revenue decline. 20 consecutive quarters of revenues went down. What do you suppose they were focused on, Manny? Uh, they were focused likely on their value delivery. Yeah. And they were talking about what? The earnings, right? They said, yeah. well, earnings, we managed earnings. And, and I just want to bring this back to the number one story that we always want to talk to people about. You need to measure your revenues. 
Okay, so revenues are the number one thing that we have to manage. If our revenues aren't going up, then they're going to somebody else. And we start talking about, if you talk about managing uh, earnings, and I want to be clear, if people are investors out there and you start hearing the leadership talk about, don't worry about revenues, we're managing earnings. That means they're fiddling with it because they're fiddling with the accounting. Because there's so many different ways you can account for things. There's nothing wrong with that. It makes sense. Different businesses yeah. manage themselves differently. But we have to, have to remember, you can change these things. You can you can you can engineer your earnings, right? And that's what IBM was doing was they were engineering earnings instead of thinking about where they're going their business, and they were putting their money in the wrong spots. In 2000, first quarter of 2014, IBM spent eight billion dollars buying its stock back. To what meant? You know, what good does that do? Does that raise revenues? Of course, it doesn't raise revenues. In fact, to get the money to buy the stock back, which they continued to do all the way up through 2020, they were actually not doing product development. They were shutting down R&D. You know, if you went back 30 years ago, IBM was always the number one company in terms of patent applications and patents issue. Well, they've certainly fallen off that perch, right? Well, how, how is that possible? I mean, how do they even, what is their leadership thinking by, by basically... Um, killing their uh, their cash generating you know Business. value creation cow right there are there are indeed that's the that's like the foundation of at least my generation knows of IBM as being uh, basically a think tank having developed the the personal computer as we know it now right they were first and then of course uh, Apple came right after and then they walked away from that business uh, they developed the hard drive the magnetic tape, you know, every time we walk into a hotel room and we swipe, swipe that thing or we use a credit card, that was IBM, right? They did Watson. They did all this AI stuff. And of course, why would they, would they do that? Well, I think it gets into that question that we've talked about so many times. That we always tell people the thing they need to focus on in their business is their... Go ahead, Manny. Customers. Right. And when yeah. you're serving your customers, you know what your value proposition is, right? Yeah, of course. How am I, how am I making things happen with them? What we start seeing here is people moving away from saying, I developed those, those great technologies to help people do their business better, right? I invent these technologies because it's good. You know, the hotel likes the product that you described, the customer likes the product you described. These are innovations that are making people's lives better. It's something that's happening in the world that's good. But, people, but companies can drift away from that and they start focusing on what you said earlier, you know, their value delivery system. Well, we've got this division, it makes these products, and we're busy inventing for making products. It goes back to our interview last week with Doug, you know, there in Arizona at the University of Arizona, where he's, he's working with inventions and he's just trying to figure out how to license them. But he's not saying, well, what's the market value of it? Right. He's saying, you know, I've got a university, we invent things, let's get them ready for licensing. In business, we don't have that luxury. We can't sit around and say, well, we're just inventing things for the fun of inventing things. We need to invent things that the market wants. But you get trapped in that value delivery system, inventing or innovating around how I'm going to deliver what I've always done, rather than thinking about what does the market actually need. And so if you ask yourself today, you know, what's the value proposition of IBM? I would have no idea how to answer that question. Yeah, I have no idea either. And, and they also have a significant branding problem for being a company that large and being in so many places, most average 30, 32 year olds don't know who they are. Right. Let alone a 25 year old that's, uh, you know, just getting their career started. 
So you go back to when they were, you know, largely a hardware company and they made hardware. They, they were really successful with the mainframe. They were really successful with the mini computer. They invented the PC, but they let that business get away from them by uh, outsourcing the operating system. And, and Microsoft got more money out of that than, than IBM ever did. And they were really in trouble as a hardware company. And then along came this guy, Lou Gerstner, who'd actually been a Procter & Gamble. He wasn't even a computer guy at all. And he he recognized the problem. He said, well, what's your value to customers? What do customers really need? And the people at IBM were, you know, didn't really know how to answer that question. So he took, undertook some studies at the senior level, came back and he said, you know what? We've sold a lot of hardware, but people don't manage it very well. They don't use it very well. And so what they really need is they need some consulting and they need some help around software and software implementations and how to get everybody using this technology much better. And of course, that's what we now call services or software services. And he took IBM and he said, you know, we're going to become the world's biggest helper in terms of helping customers use their technology. And that saved him. I mean, Lou Gerstner got incredibly famous for having turned IBM around. And what did he do? Well, he said, you had a value proposition, which was digitizing the world through this hardware. And then you kind of got focused on just making computers and you forgot, you know, to think about what customers need, which is services. And so then he refocused them on a new value proposition the services, and IBM came back strong in the 80s and 90s. Then what we see again, by the time you get to the year 2000, now he's gone, new leadership, and the leadership's again saying, well, okay, how do we work quarter to quarter, sell more what we've always sold? And they stopped paying attention to customers. They stopped going out there saying, what's the big trend? What do people need? So they missed the trend of mobile. They missed the trend of networking. They missed you know, all these computer trends that came along. And then they also missed the software trends that came along, you know, software as a service, cloud computing. They weren't looking at any of that. They were busy managing earnings, busy looking at their value delivery system. So it's the same problem that a small company has. It's just amplified and made so much bigger. But the way that we could see this happening and the reason we could be critical of this was that it was demonstrated by declining revenues. And that's the big thing that I want to make sure that all of our listeners are always paying attention to. It doesn't really matter what your earnings are if your revenues aren't growing, right? Because yeah. you can manipulate it. You know, I, I remember I went into a small company one day and they said, well, you know, we're very, very worried about how much money we make. And, you know, it's not been doing well for us for the last couple of years. And grandpa founded the business and dad seemed to run it well. And we're, we're struggling right now. Then they said, we just need to, you know, we need to generate more cash. We need to make more money. And I said, well, what are you going to do long-term? And they had not even thought about this. Well, this is the business we're in, right? We, we do this. This is what we do. And they weren't thinking about their customers at all. I said, well, if you want short-term money, I said, just go lay everybody off and sell all the desks because that'll generate real quick money, right? Yeah. Uh, you'll be out of business in a year. But the question is, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be out of business in three, four or five years anyway. So why not just do it fast and pocket all the money you possibly can? Oh, they got so angry with me. They were so angry with me for saying that. But, you know, the issue was they were sitting there saying, I want to focus on the returns rather than focusing on my customer value. And that's always measured in yeah. terms of revenue. It's something that, uh, that I've seen quite a bit as well with uh, a lot of small business uh, businesses out there. They're always trying to focus in on uh, cutting costs, making their value delivery more efficient, and, you know, most of the conversation is about how they're going to make their current business internally better with very little focus on what the most important thing is, is, is getting uh, sales through the door. Yeah. Sales is the lifeblood of an of organization. Absolutely. 
they always give it they always give it a level of mystique of all those sales guys and oh this all that when when they really should be turning the whole company around and looking at how can they increase their sales by empowering their sales staff by increasing their marketing budget and making the marketing uh, razor sharp and um, they oftentimes look inward and, and and the second thing is a lot of people when they think about their customers, they think oh, I can go ask the customer what he what he or she wants, and they'll tell me, and I'll make that for them. And that's actually not a very good approach. You know, this sort of ask the customer, bring in our big, biggest customers, and do one of these uh, workshops, um, or even doing it by Zoom, right? Be- why? Well, because customers are only thinking of you in terms of what can you do for me now. So they got a way of doing business. They're buying your product, and so they basically want it more, better, faster, cheaper. You know, provide more value. That's not what they're there. They want you to do things better, faster, cheaper so they can make more money. And so IBM got into that trap in a really big way. We saw about five, six years ago, what was actually happening, the big game that was happening was the developer wars. You know, could I could Apple continue to get developers in mass writing for iOS? You know, I've got to keep that ball rolling forward, getting more and more apps in iOS. Well, Google was trying to do the same thing, getting more and more people to write apps that were going to go on to Android. And, and Microsoft is now falling out of the game completely. This is at the end of the Balmer era, right? And so the big fight's happening around, can we get these developers? And what does IBM do? They go out and they do a survey of their customers. They find out that most of their customers like using iOS. They have a lot of iOS devices in their organizations. And so they said, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do enterprise applications in iOS, now, the problem with that is it's not really a value proposition. It's trying to say, okay, we're going to try to go out, and because we have connections in big companies, we're going to figure out some way that we're going to use somebody else's technology that somebody else developed and try to just help it perform a little bit better. Well, that's destined to not offer much value, right? It's just you're delivering. You're literally doing nothing but yeah. delivering Apple's value. Apple's got the iOS. Apple's got the devices. Apple's got the apps. And you're saying, well, what we're going to do is we're going to enterprise that. And so you're, you're saying, I have a, a value delivery system. It was guaranteed not to do well. And of course, it didn't, right? They didn't figure out what's coming next and say, oh, you know, what's going to happen with this is down the road is going to be cloud. And what we need to do is get out there and come up with cloud services. Because that's where, of course, Amazon was doing right. Well. I mean, they they tried they tried to go in that direction, but I, I guess one of the lessons that we like to talk about here is, you know, when you're going to innovate, when you're going to go out in the direction of where customers are, you've got to be uh, uh, smart enough to be able to cut bait on everything else. And they're so big, and I mean, that machine is such an unwieldy beast that I don't even know how they would even do that. How can they really put all their muscle behind? Uh, one giant innovation if they've got about 20 different, uh, you know, sharks on the line. Right. I mean, they had, I think, 10 divisions at that point. And they're looking at all 10 divisions, almost like, uh, you know, somebody playing 10 hands of cards at, at, at the tables in Vegas, right? And trying to say, well, which one of these hands do I think is going to be the one that's going to come up, you know, with the big win? Uh, or 10 which is, I think, very different than how the Virgin Group has done it. Maybe that'd be a good comparison to discuss because the Virgin Group's got, you know, 45, 50 different companies in parallel, but they're all distinct and all they're all clean, whereas IBM, it's not so clean. 
Well, yes, and a, and a big thing there is that at Virgin, what we see is every business that they launch is focused on a trend in a marketplace. So they'll say, you know, what's happening in mobile, what's happening in in uh, the way people are connecting, and and they're so they're looking at the business, saying, how is what's happening in the world, and how do I make that, you know, how do I build on what's happening in the world, how do I build on that trend? Whereas in IBM, what we see is people saying, what's our capability. And then how do I try to deliver that capability to the customer? So they're doing it from the inside out rather than the outside in. So like, for example, let's take artificial intelligence. It's one of the four big trends that we talk about in the ebook. It's definitely one of the biggest things that's gonna happen uh, over the next 10 years. IBM has an artificial intelligence division. They've had one for over 10 years. Unfortunately, its revenues aren't going anywhere. In the last quarter, revenues declined four and a half percent in the AI division. So what do you have to say to yourself? We're not doing it right. It's one thing to say I'm in AI. It's one thing to say it's a big trend. But if you're not growing your revenues in that area, then you're not obviously providing the value. You're busy trying to say, well, I've got tools. I've got capabilities. Let me slam those tools and capabilities in the market. But if people aren't buying them, what they're telling you is that, hey, look, you might think you know about artificial intelligence, but you don't know how to apply it in a way that I can use it to make more money. So therefore, your revenues aren't going up. So once again, we're back to the whole problem of, are you looking at the right thing? Are you looking at revenue growth? Just saying you've got artificial intelligence capability, even having it isn't enough. I mean, if you want to be in Doug's world in universities, that's one thing. But if you're in the marketplace, having the technology, having the capability is insufficient. It's got to be taken to the point of saying, I'm generating revenues with it. And then you're in the, in the right spot. I mean, are they doomed? Are, are they basically on their way out? Or is there some way they can resurrect their... Uh their position on the, on the Hill? Well, uh, they've got to start to take much more of an external viewpoint. There's just no doubt about that. So uh, the CEO that failed them horribly was a a person named Virginia Romney. She went by Jenny, Jenny Romney was the CEO for eight years from 2012 to 2020, averaged $30 million compensation a year through this debacle. So what we see is horribly, they took this person who graduated in, uh, in, in uh, 1981, uh, I think she graduated in 79, and then 1981, she comes to work for IBM. She's just an in, internal person, works her way up through the bureaucracy, you know, fights all these internecine internal wars and gets to the top. But that's not how we need to pick a CEO. And unfortunately, when she left in December, they took another insider and put that insider in the role as well. The first thing that they have to do is the board of directors absolutely has to get an outsider in as the CEO, someone who can be market focused, not internally focused. Like what happened back when Gerstner came in from Procter and Gamble and changed the organization. Somebody can really look outside in the world and say, "Hey, what are we, what's happening out there, and how can we add value, and where do we add value?" And then the second thing they need to do is go through a very serious restructuring of how they spend their resources. You know, they're letting a bottom-up SAP um, type of a system drive their resource allocation, right? Uh, An ERP, I shouldn't have said SAP particularly, that's just a brand, but the ERP system is driving their resource allocation. Instead, they need to sit back and say, wait a minute, what are we investing in that's dead, that's old? You know, just, we got to cut our costs, we got to cut what we spend in the stuff that's never going to grow. And then put, find the areas that they do see where there is future growth. You know, Apple's sitting there looking at future growth. Google's got future growth. Facebook's got future growth. Uh, Amazon has future growth, right? So there's markets out there where you can grow. I don't want to pick the market in this podcast to say which market I think they ought to select because there's actually a lot of them and they have a lot of resources. You know, they've, they've certainly 
let go of a lot of resources, thrown them away, spent them on stock buybacks uh, and bad uses of capital, but they still have a lot. And you know, they could still get back in the game because look at what happened to Microsoft. They changed the CEO, Ballmer went out, Nardella right. came in. He said, we're not going to cut dramatically this spending that we have on the, on the app, on the PC, you know, Windows and Office, you know, we're just overspending there dramatically. And he, and he shoved the resources over to the cloud, right? And so now Microsoft's number two in cloud. Uh, they're behind AWS. And, uh, you know, they're very, very competitive in that marketplace. They've won a lot of contracts. Um, you know, they are a very, very strong number two. And it's right. brought... Microsoft back in a big way. And then they changed their funding in gaming also, which had gone very badly for 15 years. And they've re reorganized that now to where they're much more successful in the gaming marketplace. So where Microsoft looked like we would write them off five years ago, six years ago, it's easy to say now you can write off IBM. And that's what will happen. I mean, they'll go the way of DEC, digital equipment, and Wang, and these right. names that the young people have never heard of. They're going to go, or Sun Microsystems, which is a, more, a newer one. That's the way they're headed right now, unless they get a new new CEO. And I think to get a new CEO, they need a new board of directors. And they should come in and say, look, we've got to rethink this company. We've got to rethink its future before it's too late. What's remarkable about what we're talking about here, Adam, is the, the effect of leadership. Leadership is the foundational driver of the organization to align or not align with trends. Uh, focus or not focus on their value. And uh, you hit the nail on the head. You know, we've had a couple of big turnarounds in the past five, 10 years, Microsoft being one of those, because leadership came in and made some very, I don't know, I would say weighty decisions, but would in the end give them uh, a longer life. We had a podcast, what, maybe uh, was it nine months ago or eight months ago that were about Disney Mm -hmm. And they were going down a, a really dark path. They brought in a, a CEO, actually an internal guy, that you and I thought was maybe not the right choice. Correct. But then he made some decisions that were sort of eye-opening and caused them to at least stabilize and now are setting their, their sights on a, a higher growth uh, trajectory. Yes. I think what we see, like Disney's a great example because we, we look at people that are internal and we tend to think they're going to keep the ship going the direction that it was going. And what that CEO did was he said, the world has changed and I'm going to change my resource allocation to meet what's happening in the world in terms of entertainment, you know, the movies, the, the theme parks, et cetera. And he changed his resource allocation. And that's what we, we're looking at here is how do, we need somebody that stops looking internally at how to manage internal and look externally in terms of how to meet needs. How do yes. I go from I can really run a good value delivery system to I can identify a really powerful value proposition, such as what Gerstner had done and what yep. Nardella has done at Microsoft. Exactly. So leaders really do matter. But the good leaders, we get this confused because a lot of people seem to think good leaders are ones that know how to really manage an organization, crack the whip, know the numbers, all these kinds of things. But what we've learned is that the really good leaders, yeah, they understand metrics, but they really have their minds and their eyes on the external world. You know, they're spending a lot of time looking out in the world. What's happening in the world? What do I have to do to meet the customer needs? How do I build on the trend? How do I become the leader in an area where I'm the thought leader and I'm, and I'm taking where the customer wants to go and I'm getting them, right? right? And well, what's, that, what's, remarkable, mm -hmm, what's remarkable is that the things that these leaders are doing can be learned, 
can be yes. taught and it can be learned. It's, it's not some magic power that appears out of nowhere. And that's what we spent all this time on developing our course called uh, Think Innovation, which really arms the small and medium, large business owner uh, with the right tools to think like an innovator, so to start looking outward versus inward and to start aligning their business towards where the market is going, not where it is today, where it was in, in the history of the company. So, right. um, I, mean, I mean, historical resource allocation systems, they just project the past. You know, so you see this trend line and well, we spent some money there. We spent three, five, 10 percent a year. Let's keep doing that. OK. And, and that's the way, you know, because they're built on accounting systems. And so they're built to drive the resources down the road that it's been. They're not built to create something new. I, I never forget when I was with uh, PepsiCo and we were launching Pizza Hut home delivery. And I went in and I said, OK, we've got these guys who are driving the cars and delivering the pizzas. And uh, I need a category for that, a, a payroll category for that, because they're not really a server. We, we don't compensate them like a server. We compensate them specifically to this job of being a driver, which included some money for, for miles and things like that. And I'll never forget the CIO pulls me aside and says, no, we're not going to do that. And I said, what? And he goes, well, we only have nine fields available for a type of worker. and We've used all nine. So since we only have nine, you're not allowed to have a, a, a category, uh, an occupation called driver. Now talk about inside out. We're saying we can't, you know, here's a business with a, 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 a job and we can't yeah. even put it in the payroll system because you can't handle it. I said, well, okay, fine. Let me just go let ADP do the uh, payroll for my little startup business over here doing home delivery. You know, the, we'll, we'll start off with ADP and they can handle it on the outside. And the guy wanted to kill me. He literally yeah, wanted to kill me. It's remarkable. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, no, we're not going to take that outside. So yeah, leaders just have to be more, much more open to this, using external resources, looking at external markets, figuring out where things are going, and then letting, letting us get there, right? Letting us get to that external point of view, rather than saying, well, I, you know, I manage this, and I have control of this, yeah. and I want to keep control of this, and I want to continue to manage this, and I want to show my ability to manage those resources in this existing world, and to be saying, how do I get outside of that? How do I get to those bigger, better growth opportunities? Yes, absolutely. Well, with that, we've run out of time for today, Adam, and uh, certainly a great conversation. And uh, invite all of our, uh, our listeners and viewers to go to our, our website of sparkpartners.com. And uh, our course is uh, set to release uh, later this week. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, and with that, Adam, uh, have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, Manny. You too. Take care.